So we've been in this sermon series on Epiphany. You guys remember what Epiphany is? It's much more fun to have Heidi up here quizzing me, isn't it? I should have brought a sock puppet. Wouldn't that have been fun? I, I thought about it a couple of times, and then this morning I forgot to get an extra sock out of my drawer, and I don't want to take this one off and put it on my hand because that would be gross. Uh, but we did this whole series on Epiphany, which is the, the season of the church calendar that happens after. So Advent is the beginning. The, the new year in the church calendar begins the first Sunday of Advent, Advent, which is the Sunday right after Thanksgiving. And then it goes through Christmas Day. So the season of Advent is the season of waiting, waiting for God to come. And then we move into the season of Christmas, where we celebrate that God has come. So 12 days of Christmas, no partridges and pear trees of any kind in that 12 days of Christmas. It's all about Jesus. And then we move into Epiphany, which looks at the stories of how people suddenly began to understand what it means that God came in the flesh, that God in, became incarnate. He, he inhabited a, a body and walked among us and what, what that meant for us. And the first story is the story of the, what we call the three wise men, right? The story of the Magi, which is the story of these people from outside, the outsiders, people from a different religion, a different belief system who weren't honoring or loving God in any real ways that we would understand, seeing a star, a sign from God calling them to come to Jesus. It's a story that tells us this this person is for all of us. It's not just for a select few. Then we looked last week at the story of the baptism of Jesus. And it's this story of this epiphany, this moment, this aha moment, this moment of revelation of just who this Jesus guy is. He's not just any old normal person getting baptized, right? He's not, not just somebody who came to faith and is getting dunked underwater, but a voice from heaven comes and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends on him as a dove and covers him and anoints him for a ministry, which says this is not just your old average Joe Schmo here. This is God's son. So we're looking at a deity walking in human flesh. Now, there's another story which we're going to talk about next week, which is the story of turning water into wine, which is an epiphany for the, the disciples. But there's a story in between I wanted to highlight today. And I don't like this story. It's one of the stories in the Bible that I kind of, let's see if we just read past this one quickly, right? If, we can, if I can complete my Bible reading for the day just by reading this quickly. Um, I've preached on it a lot of times, but I still, I, I'm just uncomfortable with it. And it's the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. It comes right after the baptism. We're going to be looking at Mark, or sorry, Matthew chapter 4, if you want to turn your Bibles there. But as we read this, and connecting to this idea of epiphany, I, I want to just highlight this idea that sometimes we come reading the Bible for information. We come reading the Bible for knowledge. We want to know more about this religion. We want to know more about these stories. We want to know more principles and, and precepts that we can build our life on. But the Bible wasn't given to us to give us precepts. The Bible is a book of revelation. Not the book of revelation, but a book that reveals what's really going on in the world. It's a book that reveals who God is and what God's about. It's a book that's meant to connect us to the Father. And so today as we read this passage and as we look at what it means, I want to invite you, listen for that moment of connection. What's your epiphany? What's your aha moment in this passage? And even though it's uncomfortable, I think God has something to say here to us today. So we're going to read the passage, and I just want you to, to, to listen to it. You can read it on the screen with me or in your mind or your heart, but just read it with an openness. So what is God trying to reveal to, of himself to me? 
So here we go. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That doesn't sound like any fun. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. It just got better. And afterwards, he was famished. No kidding. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, It is written, so he's pointing back to the Bible, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. So now Satan is using the Bible back at Jesus. But Jesus answered him, again it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Another translation of that would say, do not tempt God. Uh, Again, verse 8, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to them, all of these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So Jesus, we pray that today as we read this passage, as we look what happened here in your life, that you would open our eyes and that you would reveal to us just what it is you're speaking to us. Out of all the passages in the whole Bible, out of all the stories that are here, all the things that were ever said about God, you have something just for us today. And we thank you for that. We pray that you would reveal it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So something about this passage really makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you. And I was like, God, what what is it? All week I kept asking, why am I so uncomfortable with this passage? Like I can... I can tell you all the ins and outs, the details. We can go to the Greek and we can all this knowledge I have about this passage. But still, there's something in my gut that just doesn't feel right. And I, I just don't like it. And I finally figured out it was very early this morning. I was laying in bed kind of just praying and thinking about, like, what, what is it, God? Why is this still so bothering me? And I realized that it brings into very clear focus just how far away I actually am from being like Jesus. Do you ever think about that? Like you read this passage and you see Jesus coming face to face, not with just, you know, your everyday temptation to speed a little bit, not your everyday temptation to to cheat a little bit or to be a little bit lazy or whatever it is that you happen to struggle with on a day-to-day basis. This is Satan coming to Jesus face to face, dropping these big temptation bombs on him with all the force and power that Satan has, and Jesus doesn't give in one iota. And I've been going to church my whole life and hearing pastors and leaders say, hey, we are here to to learn to be like Jesus. Jesus calls people, he says, follow me. Come be like me. Learn to be more and more like me. And I look at this passage and go, I've never faced Satan like tempting me in this way, but I have failed over and over and over again in my life. I am so not like Jesus. Jesus is just like me. And there's a song that we have sung called Lead Me to the Cross. It says, you were as I, tempted and tried human. It's like Jesus here is just like me, and yet he 
does not get run over and fall into sin, to fall to the temptation, it, it just doesn't happen. And so it makes me really uncomfortable because I'm really not like Jesus. And I don't know, and well, I do, I do actually know what to do with that now that I've processed it and realized it, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. This passage has got epiphanies all over it for us. And that's one of the first ones. So, wow, look how not like Jesus you and I are. The second one is this, that life as a Christian is not always easy. I don't like that either. That makes me very uncomfortable because, you know, starting with the bad news, life is hard, as you know. Things come at us, and it's good for us to remember this, but life isn't easy, and being a follower of Jesus does not necessarily make it easier. But we get this idea sometimes that being a Christian makes us better people. And because we're better people, God is on our side. And because God is on our side, then he is our healer. So when we're not sick, it's because God was our healer and, and God is our provider. And so we have our finances and all of these things are met and all of our needs are taken care of. We can get this idea that there's this one for one, my behavior for God's uh, goodness coming into my life. And that's not the way it works. That God is our healer. God is our savior. God is our provider. And yet life happens and life sucks sometimes. The truth is that life still happens for Christians. Being a Christian does not make it any easier. We have something to rely on, somebody to rely on that others do not have, but we still experience pain, we still experience hardship, we still experience temptation. It's just that both the hard stuff and the good stuff as a Christian suddenly has significance for us. It has the capacity to build us up in Christ, to build our souls Maybe not our bank accounts, but certainly the deepest part of who we are and our relationship with God. This episode, this epiphany teaches us that just because God is on the move and doing something new, sending his Messiah, doesn't mean that the pathway forward is always going to be easy. We will be tempted and tried. Tempted and tested. Now I want to quickly talk about those two words, tempted and tested. You heard those words? We hear tempted. And when you read this, it says this is the temptation of Jesus. But this word actually is like a coin with two different sides. It's the same coin, but there's two different meanings to the word in the Greek and the Hebrew. On one side, you have the temptation, which is what uh, James, the book of James says, we're all tempted when our evil desires rise up and drag us out and entice us to go a different path. That's temptation whether it's Satan doing it or our own evil desires. And actually, Satan is using the thing that's right there in us already, the thing that we already want. He's enticing us to take this step off of the path that God has for us. Now, the other side of this is testing. It's testing not in the sense of like a math test, which the kids hate, right? English test. It's not, it's not a social studies test. This is more like testing that you do on a Ferrari, Right? You go and you go test drive a Ferrari. It says Ferrari on the hood. You've got the Ferrari tires. You've got the red color of the car. And you look at it and you say, this is a Ferrari. But the only way to know for sure if that's a Ferrari and not some plastic body with a, with a Ford Pinto engine in it is to get inside the car and to turn it on and to press the accelerator as far down as it will go, right? And to see how fast that thing will take you. It's the only way you know it's actually a Ferrari. We do this with our gas pumps to make sure you're getting the right amount of gas. It's testing. It's like weights and measures testing to see if what you have in front of you is truly what it says it is. Temptation 
is about what's really important in the life of a human. It's about that ultimate thing. It's the primacy of God. And evil has this way of enticing and finding our weak spots, our own desires, both good and bad, and exploiting them, enticing us to turn away from that ultimate thing, that pathway that God has called us to, the chosen way that God has set apart for you specifically in this world. I read, a, a, I read an article from Pope Benedict, of all people. He's the guy that just passed away a few weeks ago. He was the, pope that re- the only pope who ever retired. Okay? It's kind of weird. I don't know. This pope's retiring. It's a, it's a lifetime job. And so he retired. But he wrote this thing after he retired. And he said this in this article about temptation. The germ of temptation is to set God aside so that he is secondary. To consider our needs and desires, our plans, our interests, our projects, and our relationships as more important than God. That's the germ, the seed of temptation. And evil tempts us, but God takes that temptation and turns it into a test and allows us as followers of Christ to find out just who we are really. We've been called to a path in Christ, and the question is, Will you remain true to that pathway, or will you step aside and focus on your own needs, own desires, own projects, own plans, own relationships, your own work, or will you stay true to what God's doing? God allows these tests to come. He doesn't cause them, but he allows them to come because they teach us something about ourselves. They teach us about our faith. It teaches us about the strength of our soul that the Holy Spirit is working in us. And then there's still good news for us in this, that when we fail, there's grace, right? There's grace upon grace that God is so good and loves us so much that he's like, come on, let's get up and we're going to keep on this path. Let's get up and stay on this path. So Jesus here is entering this desert. He's carrying the epiphany of who he is. He knows something of his mission. He's God's loved child. Did I say I said God's? He's God's beloved child. And now he enters into this wilderness to be tempted. And he faces one of the hardest moments of his life. But when he walks out of the desert, he is clear-eyed. He knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what he is called to. And he knows the depth to which he is willing to walk to maintain his relationship with God. The first epiphany, again, shows us that God is doing something for all mankind. The second showed us that this isn't an ordinary man. This is the Son of God. But the third one shows us something really important about Jesus, that he is also a human, just like you and me. He's fragile. He's frail. He's the real deal, genuine human being with weaknesses, with desires that may not fall in line with God's will and desires, and temptation comes to him just like it comes to you and me. Now, we're going to have to deal with a paradox here, that God is human, or that Jesus is human, and that Jesus is divine. And when we look at this story, it really very much matters how we see what is happening here. Because there are some things... Well, let's do this illustration. There's some things that dogs can just do better. You guys ever notice that? Dogs are just way better at finding things that they want to find than I am. If I lose my keys, I hunt around the house for two or three days before I find them. A dog loses his bone, he finds it within five minutes because he's got a nose that helps him do it, right? Cats. 
I'm not sure what cats are better than humans. They're better at lying around. But you can look at just about any animal, birds. Birds are way better at flying than I am, right? There are things that animals are made to do that humans are not made to do. And just like that, there are things that God can do that I cannot do. We can we look at God and we can see, like, you know, I cannot create universes. God is very good at creating universes. Um, I cannot know what will happen in the future. God can know what happens in the future. I do not understand all the unintended consequences of every action I take during the day and how it impacts you. The whole butterfly effect thing, a butterfly flaps its wings in Japan. We feel it in California. Kind of an idea. We have all these consequences that happen. We don't understand. We're just living our lives. But God understands all of these things. And here, one thing that we know that God cannot do is to be tempted. God just can't be tempted. There's nothing that would tempt him because God is all-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need sex. He doesn't need friends because he is relationship. I mean, like he's got everything that he needs. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need praise from people. It doesn't change who he is. He's still God. He doesn't need our thanks. God is all-powerful. He doesn't need to get caught up in power plays or sticky situations that he can't change. I mean, I could go on and on about who God is that reveals this, but the truth is there's nothing at all that could tempt God ever. Now, the Bible does say, and Jesus actually uses it here, it says repeatedly, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Do not tempt God. Now, what is, what is he talking about here? Look, God promised never again to wipe out the people from the face of the earth. After the whole Noah's Ark debacle, that thing that happened back there, he said, we're never going there again. That's just not going to happen. But then the Bible says, but don't test God on this. <laughs> because God is merciful and God is good, but God is also just. And someday, sometime, the story is going to end where God's justice prevails over all the earth. And the question is, which side of it you are going to be on? So this do not tempt God is not about God. It's about where you're going to be at the end of all this stuff. Where do you sit? Whose side are you leaning on? But the question of this passage is, what about Jesus? If Jesus is the Son of God, if Jesus is divine, why is he being tempted, and how is he being tempted? I mean, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but I look at this temptation, and I have to ask this question. Could Jesus have sinned? Could Jesus have chosen to turn away from the path that he was set on? Could he have made a different decision that he made here? So the question, or the, the kind of the idea is, is this, is that either Jesus could sin because he was human, or, and, and then if he can sin, is he actually God? Or he couldn't sin, he couldn't turn from that path, then this temptation business is a sham, right? This passage has no meaning for us if the Son of God is sitting here being tempted by Satan, and he is accessing all the power of the divine God, all of his fullness and everything, and he's just standing there in front of Satan, and Satan's like, well, what about this? You know, it means nothing for us. So the paradox is this. These two equal and opposite truths that we have to hold on to. Jesus is fully human and fully God. How do we get our brain around that? Have you ever had a mango? Oh, they're a delicious fruit. The best fruit ever created by God, not by man. And there are these delicious orange, when they're ripe, they are wonderful. Have you ever had a durian fruit? You ever heard of durian fruit? So this is another Southeast Asian fruit. It's this giant fruit, and they are really ugly, and they have lots of spikes on them. And when you open them up, it smells like dead bodies. 
These two things are both fruit. And we can hold that in our head. But holding this idea of God coming in the flesh and Jesus being fully human and fully God is really difficult. It's really hard for us to hold on to. And yet that is what's going on here. Jesus is both fully divine and fully man. But Jesus is going through this, having laid down all of his power, laying down all of his divinity, laying down access to foreknowledge, laying down access to his fullness, uh, all of his relationship. He is walking into this just as you and I would as a human. His humanity is actually revealed in the nature of his temptations. The first one is to turn bread to stone. This guy had not eaten for 40 days. The scripture said he was famished. Again, that's like one of the most obvious statements ever written in the whole Bible, right? He didn't eat for 40 days. He was very hungry. No kidding. And so he's got this deep human desire to eat. We were made to eat. It's what we do. Humans need fuel. And so here is human Jesus being tempted to eat, turn the bread, turn these stones into bread. I cannot turn bread into stone. I don't know about you. Or no, wait, the other way around. I cannot turn stone into bread. I can turn bread into stone. I'm really good at that. But the other way around, I haven't yet managed to do that. Okay. But there's this temptation to Jesus. And it's not just to eat, but it's to use the power of God for his own gain and own will and own purposes rather than for the sake of others. He's tempted to throw himself down from a very public place and to let the angels catch him on the way down and save him. Because, man, that's going to be a big deal in the news, right? Man falls from giant tower. Angels swoop out of nowhere and save him at last second. I mean, this is tabloid stuff, but in that day it shows up in the news and everybody's going to be like, we've got to go see this guy. He's famous. He'd be great in the eyes of all the people rather than hidden and unseen. And then the third one, to bow down to me and all of this will be yours. It's this deep human desire for wealth, for comfort, for power, for position. And Jesus turns that aside as well and says, no, that's not what I am called to. The point of the temptation and every temptation that we face is not just to do a thing. It's not just seeking power or wealth. It's about turning aside from God's calling on your life. That is the heart of temptation. And that is what Jesus faced as a human being. To step aside from the pathway that God set before him, a pathway of hiddenness, a pathway of suffering. I mean, we're not all called to the same path as Jesus. Thank God. But we all are called on a path. And this wasn't the only temptation Jesus ever faced. If you read the Gospels, he shows up in other places. He, at one point in John chapter 6, it shows that Jesus was actually tempted to be a king. People wanted to find him and be, make him the king of Israel, literally make him the king. And he ran and hid. He went out into the wilderness to remain in obscurity. Uh, he was tempted by the disciples to take his miracles and his miracle ministry, the healing of all these people, and to turn it into this big, famous ministry all based on miracles. And yet Jesus told people over and over again, don't tell anybody who did this. Why would you do that? He's not called to fame. He was also tempted in Mark chapter 8 to avoid suffering. Peter Jesus says, look, I'm, I'm headed toward a cross. I'm headed toward suffering. I'm headed toward death. And Peter says, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus could have said, you're right. You can be my bodyguard. And how about all of you guys get armed and let's talk to everybody else around them. We're not going to let the Romans do this to me. 
But instead, he said to Peter, his, one of his best friends, get behind me, Satan. The same thing he said here in the, in the b- beginning of Mark to the actual Satan. I'm not going to fall to that temptation. God has called me this way, and this is the way I will go. These desires, these temptations that Jesus faces are very, very human things. And that's very, very good news for us. Jesus is God, but he is also fully and completely a human being. And this is why it's good news. It's because if Jesus is going through this as a human being, or if he's going through this as God, then he's not followable. But if he is walking through this as a human being, then I can be like him. And you can be like him. If Jesus is accessing God's ultimate and sovereign power to overcome times of trial and testing, then we can never hope to repeat it. It just won't happen because we don't have that same access that Jesus would have as as the Son of God. It's like saying, you know what, that tank battle in Ukraine, I could have won that tank battle if I had a tank. Right? Or I, I, I totally could win an Olympic gold medal in gymnastics if I was a gymnast. You know, it's a nice idea. We like to believe the best about ourselves. And we're like, I could do that. I could do that, if only. And the truth is, we look at this and we go, oh, I could overcome temptation if I was the Son of God, but I'm not. But Jesus, as a human being, makes this a totally different story. If Jesus is facing these 40 days in the wilderness of testing and not accessing God's ultimate power and going through it as a human being, then you and I could actually follow him in this. If Jesus went through as a man, fully human, having laid down access to deity, he is followable. And that's funny because Jesus calls us all the time, follow me, follow me, follow me. Jesus experiences testing as a full member of the human race, subject to our propensity to turn left when we should go right. Then there's hope for me. And there's hope for you when we face temptation and testing. If Jesus experienced temptation and overcame it as a man, then when he says, follow me, he's not asking the impossible. Hebrews 4 actually says this, that that Jesus can have empathy for us because he knows exactly what we experience every day because he was tempted in every way that we are. Now, let's be clear. Temptation isn't a sin. In fact, temptation and testing is a part of being a disciple. But the question is, will you remain true to the path that God has called you to? So here's the big question. If Jesus is going through this passage, this this wilderness experience, this tempting and testing, he's doing it as a human being, how in the world did he do it without sinning? How is it even possible? Because I have yet to get through the wilderness without sinning. And as I asked that question, it made me think of the Wizard of Oz and the Cowardly Lion, which I have a picture of, the Cowardly Lion up here. Um, it's a great black and white picture there, Leary, because there he goes. You guys remember the Cowardly Lion and the Wizard of Oz? So we're going to do a quick wake-up thing here. Ready? So he and the, his, his big song, he's got a big song in the show that talks about who the Cowardly Lion is and what he's all about. And at the end of it, he does kind of a, well, it was probably a poem in the 1930s, but it's you know a rap now. And so we're going to do the rap together, and it's a kind of a call and response. And the word that you have to say is courage. Okay, so let's all say it together. Courage. Okay, so here's, here's what he had to say. And then at the end of it, at the end of every question, you answer courage. That's all you have to do. You got it? Okay. He says, what makes a king out of a slave? What makes the flag on the mast to wave? 
What makes the elephant charge his tusks in the misty mist or the dusky dusk? What makes the muskrat guard his musk? What makes the sphinx the seventh wonder? What makes the dawn come up like thunder? What puts the ape in apricot? And what do they got that I ain't got? You can say that again. Yeah. Courage isn't the point. <laughs> okay. It's the what do they got that I ain't got. If Jesus entered the desert and faced this difficult testing as a man, what did he have going in there that I don't have? What made him successful when I have failed? What has made Jesus successful in this when you have failed? What, what enabled him to actually overcome Satan himself? We get three things, and we're going to be quick about this. First thing is this. Well, I'll tell you what all three things are. It's identity, a dove, and discipline. I couldn't come up with three Ds. I tried. Couldn't turn identity into a D. If you come up with an idea, let me know. So three things, the identity, dove, and discipline. The first thing is identity. Jesus, at his baptism, heard the voice of God speak over him. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we talked last week about how, you know what, that's not just a statement for Jesus in that moment, that we each have epiphany moments, aha moments, lightning struck my brain moments, the curtain came up, the fog lifted, and we suddenly see the truth that you are beloved that you are loved by God, just as you are, deeply, wholly, the whole of your life, not just the good parts of your life, from birth to death and everything in between, loved by God. This was Jesus' identity. He knew that he was loved as he went into that desert. And you know, in life, you and I don't go very far in a very healthy way without knowing that we're loved. People going through life not knowing that they're loved do some crazy things. Sometimes people fight to prove that they're worthy of love. Sometimes because they decided they're not worthy of love, they just give up. We hurt inside. We curl up and we invite the hurt. We hurt other people. All kinds of things. We, we get motivated to be the best. We give up on being the best. Over and over again, we hear stories of people just wanting to be loved. We don't go very far in life without knowing that. Jesus goes into one of the hardest moments of his life knowing exactly how God felt about him. And knowing that changes everything. So the question here is, do you know it? As you walk out of the doors today, do you know that you are God's beloved child, chosen and adopted, empowered and gifted, to walk a path that God has chosen and set aside specifically for you. He's made it for you before the foundations of the earth were made for this year in 2023. You are God's beloved child. So Jesus walked into the desert carrying this identity, knowing I am God's beloved son. The second thing, though, that he also carries into this desert happened in his baptism as well. A dove descended from heaven and landed upon him. And we talked about the dove as the symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit is the biblical terminology. And what anointing means, it's like, like being given a job title with power. So there are certain things that you and I can't do. Like I could, I could say, Audrey, you are president at Pullman Foursquare. That would mean nothing, right? He, he doesn't get better coffee than any of you. He doesn't get a better seat at church than any of you. He doesn't get to negotiate with other churches about war packages and, you know, sending armaments over to the Baptists or whatever. I mean, none of that stuff. But if he was elected president of the United States, 
suddenly he's got certain authority and certain power that comes along with it, right? He gets buttons that none of us get. Thank God none of us get that button. So the dove descends on Jesus and anoints him with this new authority. It's this covering of power that he gets to have. Now, you've got to remember the whole story of the Bible, right? It's creation. It's God is out there speaking and creating this universe. Then as, Jesus, as God rescues the, the Israelites from Egypt and slavery, suddenly it becomes God among us. There's a pillar of fire. There's the tabernacle. And then eventually the, the temple where God resides in a specific space among us. But then there's a, there's a shift that happens there. There's God out there. There's God inhabiting a space. And then we come to Jesus, and we have Jesus, God, inhabiting a body, a space, and it's God with us, not just among us, not just separated from us, but with us. But then when Jesus leaves, he says, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. God has chosen in these days to not just inhabit or to dwell among us or to be near us, but to live within us. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within each of us and gives us power to walk through life as God has called us to walk and live. We actually have something that Jesus didn't have. Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. And things change when we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Quick story. We were at the Chosen the other night watching the video, and at the end of it, we were talking and discussing the episode, and Jan told this story about uh, Jan Busboom. He's sitting back over there. He's, he's an actual person. Uh, he told a story about going to Antwerp, Belgium on a mission trip, and they had to go out and share the gospel. Terrifying, right? Just randomly cold-calling people and talking about Jesus. And they, he said it was hard ground. That was his word, hard ground. Like, you just, you just, people didn't want to talk about it. People didn't want to talk about it. He said, but when we went out two by two and we had a team of people praying and we had this anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit in us, things changed. Suddenly, people were receptive. Suddenly, people would listen. That's just one example of the power of the Spirit filling us. Things changed when you were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was anointed with the power of the Holy Spirit as he walked into his temptation. Now, it's not all magic power, and it's not all just knowledge about who you are. The other thing that Jesus took into the, this, the, 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 this, into the wilderness with him was spiritual disciplines. We don't like that word. They're yucky. But we do all have one. We all have a discipline, whether we believe it or not. Discipline, really, what it is, it's to intentionally shape something. It's like making a brick with a mold. You take dirt and you pack it into the mold and you heat it and you, you know, fire it and it turns into a brick. I want a brick, so I pack things into that mold and I make bricks. That's what spiritual disciplines do for us. If you want to be a decent basketball player, you go to ba basketball practice. If you want to run a marathon, well, you're just crazy. But if you do, like Billy, you run all week and you never, ever stop. Okay, That's just what you have to do. You just have to keep running. If you want to create beautiful art, you have to paint regularly. If you want to be a musician, you have to practice your guitar. If you want to live until you're 90 to see grandkids and great-grandkids, you have to keep your heart healthy. You have to keep your body somewhat fit, right? Jesus did certain things that kept his body in physical, spiritual shape to face temptation. He intentionally formed his body, and we see it written all through this text and throughout the, new, the Gospels. He fasted for 40 days. That's a long time to go without food. But he wasn't just like, I'm not eating. He's praying. He is disciplining his body. 
He practiced hiddenness. He wasn't seeking the spotlight, but in humility, he lived a life that was hidden and yet pointing to God. He practiced the discipline of Scripture, reading and memorizing Scripture. He visited the synagogue every Sabbath day. He engaged in worship. He engaged in fellowship with the disciples. His disciples and him, or this, sorry, these disciplines gave him a regular and growing connection in his identity as the beloved child of God. And we encourage you here at Pullman Foursquare, engage in some disciplines. Don't just sit on the sidelines expecting the Holy Spirit to do it all for you. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no power in our living. But without disciplines, there's no forward motion. We stagnate and just stay the same. Our identity as the beloved child of God takes second place to the other things that we're doing. Discipline is a statement of I'm staying on this pathway with you and I'm going to walk it. So, my question at the end of all of this, in all honesty, where are you in your life with God? As you walk from this place into the wilderness of life tomorrow, where are you? Are you living on knowledge and lacking power? Are you stagnant in your relationship with God because you believe you're the beloved, but you're not engaging in any sort of formation? Are you unconvinced of God's love for you? Do you know that you are the beloved? Where are you in your relationship with God? And what's God's invitation to you in that? I'm just going to give you a minute to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then we're going to close with prayer. Help us to be honest. I think sometimes there comes moments with an epiphany that we have to like actually acknowledge that we have or have had or need a certain epiphany. And we want to make it safe, but I do want to give you just a chance to respond somehow. And it's really difficult as a pastor to come up with ways in which we invite people to respond, right, in a safe way. And so what we're going to do is just gonna ask everybody to kind of keep their heads bowed, their eyes closed, so that it's just a moment between you and God, and you're acknowledging to God these things rather than to me, but also to me as your pastor to help you walk in your faith. So the first question, Jesus walks into the desert knowing that he is the beloved Son of God. How many of you would say that the epiphany you need or the epiphany that you receive today or last week is this, this epiphany that you are God's beloved child. And if that's, you just kind of acknowledge that by raising your hand and saying, that's me. That's me. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah. 
And that is a hard one to hold on to. It's an epiphany we need over and over and over again. So I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that those who, who lightning struck their brain and they heard for the first time, the third time, the fifth time, the 150th time, that they are your beloved son or daughter. God, I pray that that truth would burn brightly in their hearts and that you would fill them, God, with the fullness of your love, that they would know the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, the length to which your love goes for them and that they would stand in awe of it, that they'd be moved to wonder by it, and that you would guard them secure in it. In Jesus' name. How many of you would say that the epiphany here for you in this last week's passage and this week's passage is this whole idea of the anointing and the filling of the Holy Spirit, that you didn't realize that there is an access to a a power, the power of God, the, the life of God living in you that you had access to, and you're like, I need that. How many of you say, I, I need that today? If you just raise your hand, I need that power. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Every day. Every day I need that. So God, your son Jesus came and he said, when I go, I will send another, a comforter, a counselor, a helper, and that is your Holy Spirit. And your Holy Spirit would gift us and fill us with power to walk the path that you have called us to live. And so, God, I pray for those who have acknowledged that need this epiphany, that have never received this epiphany, that right now you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we're not looking for an emotion. We're not looking for a moment. We don't need those things. And, God, you don't need those things. We just need you. And so, God, we pray for a filling again, a fresh wind, your Holy Spirit coming. Fill us anew, God. Fill us anew. In Jesus' name. And lastly, how many of you would say the epiphany here is, oh my gosh, Jesus had a life of spiritual discipline, and I've not engaged in those things, and it's no wonder I can't move forward in life. It's no wonder I'm not deepening my relationship with God. It's no wonder I face temptation and can't, can't do anything about it because I've not been formed. And the next step for me is to find some way of being formed spiritually. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Yeah. <laughs> so true. Me too. So God, we pray for those who are acknowledging this, that the epiphany is that we need to be formed. God, I pray that you would give each of us who raise our hands today the courage, God, the courage to step into a discipline, to, to step into a formation, to allow you to mold and shape us. God, guide us to the right discipline. Because not every discipline is right for every person for every time. Show us the path. Help us, God, to become more and more like you. In Jesus' name. So, Lord, we confess that given the chance that we choose to be our own master and to follow our own way. And we thank you for calling each of us this morning to Jesus, drawing us into a fellowship with this sinless human being. God, we pray that we would know your approval and experience your grace that changes us and keeps us. And as we do, God, we will glorify you and you alone. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. If you heard nothing else today, and you've heard it a thousand times before, what is it that I really wanted you to hear? Jesus loves you. He really does. And I love you too. We're doing our best here, and we're going to keep doing our best to love you. So go in the grace of the Lord. Enjoy your Sunday. 
I'm praying for you. We'll see you guys next week.